Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy listening to the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. We uh, have been going through Revelation in the uh, letters that Jesus dictates to John. Um, to these seven churches in Asia Minor, uh, we have seen that uh, five out of the seven, um, Jesus has a, a negative thing to say, telling them that they need to repent. Uh, yet two of them, everything Jesus says was positive. And we're at one of those churches tonight. And if you notice if the way these are structured, the second to the beginning and the second to the end, they're, they're both um, these churches that Jesus has nothing negative to say about them. Uh, and we know as we've been going through this, most of the churches, as, we, as Jesus addresses them, he, he calls back to mind the things that He said in chapter 1. Whenever He, we, he describes Himself, He says who, he, who it is that's speaking. He talks about the fact uh, uh, that He is the one with white hair, with the robe that goes down to his feet, with the golden sash around his waist. He holds the seven stars in his hand. He walks among the lampstands and he has those eyes like flames of fire. These are all the things that we we see about Jesus here as he introduces himself. And tonight we're looking at the church in Philadelphia. The church that Jesus says He is opening a door for them that no one can shut. And if He shuts a door, then no one can open it. Jesus is the one in control in His church. He walks among us. He sees everything. And if there's going to be any success in ministry, any success in reaching this community, it's because Jesus opens the door. It won't be because of our might, our power. It won't be because of our numbers. It will be because Jesus opened the door. Let's hear what Jesus says to the church in Philadelphia as we read from Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews but are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about the patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell upon the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, 
And I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would speak to us now. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears so that we hear your word. As your spirit is speaking to us, Lord, give us eyes. We might delight in what you say to us. Lord, give us mouths that we proclaim what you have said. Father, be with me. I'm weak, but you are strong. I pray that you would give me grace, give me strength to preach your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus begins, similar to the way he begins each of them, he says, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, but Philadelphia, this city in Asia Minor. This is the second to last of the letters. And um, if you look at a map as you go, they, they, they go around kind of in a circle. The Church of Philadelphia, Jesus addresses himself as the one, he, he calls himself the one, the, the Holy One. And the true one. Jesus is holy. Just as in Isaiah chapter 6, the cherubim were all around the Father as he sat upon this throne in the middle of the temple, and the, the whole temple shook because of how great and glorious God was, and these angels were singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So Jesus is this Holy One. Jesus Himself is God. And He is holy. He is completely and morally pure. He is completely separate from the world. He is not stained by sin in any way. As He became a human being and He walked among human beings, He came as an infant and He never sinned. He was a toddler, he was a teenager, he was a young adult, he was all those ages up to the age in which he was crucified, and he never sinned once. Never a coarse word, never a sinful moment of anger, nothing. He was completely sinless. He is the Holy One. And it says he is the true one. Jesus is completely true. He is trustworthy. We can believe what He says. We can take what He says to the bank. We can stake our lives on what Jesus has said. Because He is the true one. He will never lie to us. The fact that Jesus is the true one means that we can trust Him. What else are we tempted to trust in? Are we tempted to trust in our own abilities? Are we tempted to trust in our own wealth, in our own security, in our own, you name it? 
rather than trusting in Jesus. We can't stake our life on our own wealth. We can't stake our life on our own abilities, but we can stake our lives, our souls, our eternal destinies upon Jesus because He is true and reliable and He is trustworthy. And Jesus says He is the one who has the key of David who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. When Jesus says something, it stands. When Jesus decides to give an opportunity and He opens a door, it is open. And nothing and no one can do anything about it. When we look in the New Testament and we read about an open door, usually what we see is it's about an opportunity for evangelism. It's an opportunity for gospel proclamation. We, I, I think particularly of Acts chapter 16 when, when uh, Paul had a vision of a, a Macedonian saying, come up. And the door was open so that he could go and proclaim the gospel in Europe. This open door, when Jesus sets an open door before us, no one can close it. It doesn't depend on our strength. It doesn't depend upon our abilities, but it is an opportunity that Jesus opens up. And Jesus then begins to address the church in Philadelphia, he says, I know your works. Unlike those of the five of the other churches, he doesn't have anything negative to say. He just says, I know your works. He knows that they labor hard for him. He knows that they have, have persevered under struggle. He knows. And how much of a comfort it is to know that Jesus knows our works. When we continue to labor and it seems like no one notices us. When we work, when we come and work with children, when we, when we come and uh, uh, do some kind of ministry to the community, we might feel like, who notices? But Jesus notices. He says, I know your works. Nothing escapes his eyes. He has the one, he is the one with eyes like flaming fire, and he sees everything, and he sees when we work. He knows our works. Jesus says, Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut, and I know that you have little power, but little power. And yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. This church in Philadelphia, they were small and insignificant in the eyes of the Roman Empire. They were small. They had little power, Jesus says. But he has set before them an open door. They will be successful because of what Jesus has done. Not because of their own strength. Not because of their own power. We think of 
What we've been looking at in the last several weeks as we look at the churches in Revelation, uh, I'm going to try to unpack again. The text doesn't tell us exactly about their historical situation, but we know that they were persecuted. We hear about this synagogue of Satan. We know that that, uh, the Roman imperial cult was... uh, uh, it demanded that they worship Caesar, that they bow down and worship Him as Lord and God. And we had some churches that they were compromising. They were giving in to idolatry. They were giving in to sexual immorality that would have been a part of the practices. And then we had those who were silent. They didn't give in to the practices of... of, um, sexual immorality or of of idolatry, but they were silent because they just fit in along with the Jews in the synagogue. Remember, the Jews, they had an exemption through the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you you have a a Catholic Bible, you may be able to read in there in in the stories in the Apocrypha, uh, Maccabees, and, the, and it tells about these wars that went on with the Jews. The Greeks and the Romans, they wanted to try to, to, to um, force the Jews to, to worship according to their customs. And they refused, and they refused. And there were many, many people who were killed. And finally, the Jews were given an exemption. It was just too much trouble to try to get them to bow. So they were issued an exemption. So... The hope among the early Christians was that they would just be accepted into the synagogue. And in order to do that, they had to be quiet. They couldn't talk about their Christian faith. And they just were silent. And as we saw last week, the church of Sardis that did this, they, were, they had a reputation for being alive because they didn't submit to the Roman authorities and, and participating in idolatry and immorality. But... Yet they were dead because they just remained silent. They didn't profess Jesus. Here we see that the the church at Philadelphia, they didn't fall into either one of these. They held fast to Jesus' name. They have kept Jesus' word and they have not denied His name. And while they are little, while they have little power, Jesus is opening a door for them. Their ministry of evangelism to to reach the world will be successful because they held firm. They held firm. They did not compromise and they did not deny Jesus' name. Jesus says, verse 9, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews but are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. and They will learn that I have loved you. This fits with uh, the idea we have in trying to understand these churches in Revelation. This synagogue of Satan may be this ethnic Jew Synagogue they, that, that some of those churches were trying to fit into, well, whenever it was found out that a person was a Christian, they might be turned over, handed over to the authorities in this synagogue of Satan. They wouldn't tolerate Christians among them. They handed them over. What Jesus says to this church in Philadelphia, those of the synagogue who would hand you over, 
One day I'm going to make them come and I'm going to make them bow before your feet. That's what Jesus says to us. When we have pressures in the world, when we have pressures to to deny Jesus, to compromise with the world around us, one day those who pressure us, who, who say, if you don't do this, we'll take you to court because of your discrimination or whatever, one day Jesus says He will make them bow before our feet. Jesus says, Behold, I will make them bow before your feet, and they will know that I have loved you. How great an encouragement. They thought they were the true Jews. They thought they were the ones holding firm. But when they see Jesus in all of His reality, they will know that, they, that the Christians who they persecuted were loved by the God of the universe. The same for us. There will be a reckoning one day when Jesus comes to judge everyone who has ever lived. And on that day, those who have been our persecutors will know that we have been loved by the Father. We have been loved by Jesus. He says, verse 10, Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming upon the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I don't know who may have read the Left Behind books or, or uh, how, how much of an understanding everyone has about end times events from Scripture. A lot of us feel like it's just kind of confusing. We think about all this end time stuff and we just kind of throw our hands up and say, well, I know Jesus is coming back. Well, for those who do have a position on this, there's something that's coming that's called the Tribulation. And there are some who hold that this tribulation will be a seven-year tribulation that comes right before Jesus returns. Uh, I'm sorry, right? Yeah, right before Jesus. I'm getting it wrong here. That Jesus will return first, and then He will take the church out of the world so that they will be preserved from this hour of trial. And then He'll come again And we will reign with him then. And then another view, which is actually the view that I hold, will say this keeping from the hour of trial has to do with he's going to preserve us through it. Um, In the same kind of way that when, when Daniel and Shadrach, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace, or when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, Jesus, the, the Lord, kept them through the hour of trial. They, they may have gone into the lion's den. They may have been thrown into the fiery furnace. But God preserved them through it all. It doesn't matter really which position we hold. I, 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 you know, I hold one position. Others may hold another position. But what matters is the promise that He makes here. Verse 10 says, Because you have kept My word, about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming upon the whole world. What matters is not 
You know, is, is Jesus coming before the tribulation or is He coming after the tribulation? None of that really matters. What matters is we need to hold on and keep His Word. And whether it's being removed from the trials or just being preserved through the trials, the way it happens is we will hold fast to His Word and to His name. Verse 11, I am coming soon. Those are encouraging words too. We, we, we hear those words, I am coming soon, and we recognize they were written 2,000 years ago. Is it really soon? Do, do we really believe that Jesus is coming soon? Well, as Peter talks about it in, in, the, in the book of uh, Second Peter, I think it is. He says that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. The question is asked, where is the promise of it coming? We've been saying Jesus is coming for all this time. Where is He? We're told that that's the question people will ask in the last days. And the answer is, the Lord is not slow, as some count slowness, but He is long-suffering toward us. He is patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus is coming soon. He is coming soon because we don't know when He's coming. It could be at any moment. He could come tomorrow. He could come tonight. He could come a thousand years from now. He is coming soon and quickly. And He is coming in a way that we don't expect Him. And there's oftentimes people will make predictions. Well, somebody said that Jesus was going to come back the 23rd of last month. Well, if somebody makes a prediction like that, we know that's not the day. <laughs> because Jesus said that not even the angels in heaven know, only the Father. But He is coming quickly. And when we're facing pressure, when we're facing uh, persecution or all those things, it is encouraging to know that in relation to all eternity, He is coming quickly. In relation to how, how long all of eternity is that we will get to spend forever with Him, what light momentary affliction we go through now is only a small thing. Jesus says, hold fast to what you have, that no one may seize your crown. Remember, He promises to the one who overcomes the crown of life. And He says to us, hold on. Hold on. Do not deny My name. Hold on. And no one will, will take your crown. We will receive a reward. Jesus says, the one who conquers, we hear this promise in each of the letters, to the one who conquers, to the one who holds fast, who doesn't deny His name, the one who conquers is promised, I will make Him a pillar in the temple of My God. He shall, never, never shall He go out of it. This is an encouragement. 
Jesus, you know, he's speaking to this church in Philadelphia where the, the, the synagogue officials may cast out these uh, believers because they, they're Christians, because they're following Jesus. They may turn them over to the authorities, but Jesus here says, let them have the synagogue. I'm going to make you a pillar in the temple that will last forever. And Jesus says, and I will write on him the name of my God. What does it mean that He's going to write on us the name of His God? Well, what does it mean when we write our name on something? When we're at school, we write our name on a paper because it's ours, right? When, when I get my kids a toy, they write their name on it because it's identifying it as theirs. And when God writes His name on us, it means we belong to Him. We're His and Jesus also promises to the one who overcomes, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from heaven. We, I think that means we belong there. That's where we belong. We're no longer citizens of this world, but we are resident aliens. Our home is in heaven. Our home is in the new Jerusalem which is coming down. We need to remember where our citizenship is. It doesn't, it's not an allegiance to Rome. It's not an allegiance to human government. But it is an allegiance to Jesus, the King who is coming and who is going to fix everything. While we live in a world with death and sickness and pain and sin... Jesus will come and He will make everything right and this new Jerusalem will come down out of heaven and that's where we belong. And Jesus says, and my own new name. I think this means there are things about Jesus which we do not yet know. There are things that have not yet been revealed about Jesus. That we'll get to know then. We'll get to know Jesus in a much greater intimacy than we could ever know here. He will write His own new name upon us. Jesus says, whoever has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And we need to hear what Jesus is saying to each of these churches, to this Church, tonight I, I, I hear what, what is the burden on my heart. Jesus says, while, while the church there in Philadelphia was small, it had little power, I have opened a door for them that no one can shut. And if we hold fast Jesus' word, if we hold fast to Him and we don't compromise... We pray that's what Jesus will do here. It won't depend on our size. It won't be depend on our ability or our uh, winsomeness. It will depend upon Jesus opening the door of ministry here in Panama. He is the one who will build His church. He is the one who has the keys. He is the one who opens the door and gives us an opportunity. And when He opens that door... No one can shut it. So let's hear what the Spirit is saying to us tonight.
Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.wordpress.com or you can like us on Facebook. Facebook.